1: This podcast is dedicated to promoting the organization, its members, and events, as well as riders throughout Appalachia and beyond. And now, here is your host, Eric Fritz Hughes. Thank you, Gertrude and Ola, listeners. Welcome to Episode 62 of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Fritz Well, we've had another long stretch of time since the last podcast episode was posted, which I assure you was not my intention. See, for the past couple of years, I've taken some time off in December, then come back in January to talk about the annual writing contest. However, this year, atop our hill in Mercer County, life was upheaved as my wife and I began the process of leaving that hill for a brand new one in a whole different county. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever attempted to move from one town to another, but it's kind of an involved process. I mean, you gotta go find a new house to move into in this new town. You have to make sure you have a job once you get there. You do the whole negotiating process on the new house, pack up all your crap in anticipation of closing on that house, haul a bunch of it into storage in the new town, get rid of crap you don't want to pack. Realize that gas is really expensive now, and you could do a whole lot better if you just rented a U haul to get rid of the rest of your odds and ends all at once then you realize that you're never going to be able to lift that gravity couch with just the two of you and that you really, really don't feel like packing up that kitchen either. So you haul what you can and hire movers to come get the rest. Only, it's going to take a couple of weeks for them to be able to move your stuff too. Plus, there's the whole matter of selling your old house, which means getting it all polished up and looking smart and spiffy and safe for other human beings to see and potentially buy except suddenly there's a problem with the septic tank that has to be fixed which means pulling down a whole tree that's growing on top of it then of course your dog rolls in a piece of broken sewer pipe and runs in the house and then when you think all of that is solved an even bigger tree falls of its own accord and you have to drive all the way back to Mercer County and solve that one up to haul up to the woodpile it's a massive amount of work and we didn't always do it in the right order And I also had to do a lot of it by myself. And the work doesn't stop even after you have all your crap moved into the new house, because then you got to find places to put it all away. And that's when you find out that the house that you bought, which you were assured had Suddenlink high-speed internet, turns out only to have had Suddenlink cable TV, and is apparently incapable of receiving any kind of high-speed internet via a wire, be that wire, coax, cable, or phone line. And that, which you might have guessed, really puts a crimp in your ability to upload podcast files. So, now I really, really sympathize with the listeners who have complained to me that the podcast is just way too large to download via a dial-up connection. I don't know if I'll ever be able to get hardline internet in this house. But in the meantime, I've been using a Wi-Fi hotspot card to do my internetting and can once again upload podcasts. So this, episode 62, will mark the first episode of the West Virginia Writers Podcast that was not recorded and assembled atop a hill in Mercer County. No, this time I'm recording in the all-new Mr. Herman Studios atop our new hill in Greenbrier County. Greenbrier, you see, is the county that made my wife and I fall in love with West Virginia in the first place. We lived here for seven years, and we've missed it since we've been away for the past four years. So when the opportunity presented itself to come back, we took it. And despite all the hassles and sore backs and lack of Internet necessary to get us here, it's been worth it. The material for today's recorded live reading was recorded also in Greenbrier County way back in November of 2011. I've been holding on to it for this long because it's the full recording of the Greenbrier Valley Theater's Literary Tea Poetry Edition. And since April is National Poetry Month, this is when we're going to run it. The Poetry Tea is one of my favorite literary events of the year because it means poets from Greenbrier and surrounding counties flock to the theater to read their poetry and occasionally the poetry of others. Plus, we get to consume tea, coffee, and cookies while we do it. Now, I'm not a poet myself, so while I've served as host several times in the past and do for this episode as well, I don't usually participate in the readings themselves. However, this year I made an exception to the rule and decided to kick off the evening with a poem by someone else. Welcome to the uh, 2011 Poetry Literary Tea. I'd like to thank Greenbrier Valley Theater for hosting this once again and for uh, having West Virginia writers as participants in it. I was one of the readers at one of the early literary teas this year for prose. I wound up winning first place in Appalachian writing in the West Virginia Writers' Contest this year, which kind of surprised me. Um, but people often ask writers where they get their ideas, and one of the first stories I wrote when I moved to the Lewisburg area was based on a newspaper article. It was a 50th anniversary article for an Indian couple who live in West Virginia but are originally from Calcutta. And all I knew were their names, I knew how many children they had, I knew their ages, I knew where they were from, and I made up the rest. (laughs) And this was for a writing workshop. And I wound up making up this whole life story for them and the story took place on their 50th anniversary. And I kind of just fell in love with these people. And recently Greenbrier Valley Quarterly um, asked me if I could submit this to them since it had won this year and they accepted it for publication, it's in the current issue on stands. And then I found out the uh, gentleman that was the husband of the couple has already written, already wrote his own autobiography. (laughs) And I thought, well, I need to find out what this man's life genuinely was like and it's even better than I imagined. Um, As romantic as I thought it was gonna be, the things I put into the story he had a couple of pieces in his where I was just like, oh, that so puts to death in <laughs> what I had in mind uh, in a good way. I was very pleased. But uh, this gentleman, his name is uh, Basudeb Dasarma, uh, passed away in 2007, but he was also not only a chemist, but he was a poet as well. And so I thought I would kick off uh, tonight's poetry tea with uh, a poem that Dr. Dasarmo wrote. It's called Chemistry, a Poem. The two I like most are often lost on most people. Poetry and chemistry, I feel free to agree, are not popular. They are by far the two least liked topics for conversation, especially if they mix to form a combination. For any gathering, but don't listen to the humdrum majority that may say, what a pity. When something, someone, or God Started at zero time with a nod Staring at the absolute zero Like a monumental hero To make something of nothing In a big bang or a little being Of opposites like tiny dot in a pot Of positron and electron But these must be separated, anon Lest they destroy one another And revert to nothing they once were We know the full story of electron But not yet where the other has gone She is light, lithe, and charged to act. We know that for a fact. A massive proton then came on the scene, positive but slow and serene, looking for a mate to form a stable home in a nice neutral atom. They know not to go too close for comfort in a marital sport and stay a little away, afar from each other's hair. This was hydrogen, the granddaddy from heaven, to fill the universe we know so far in distant stars. Hydrogen atom could lose the electron to form a hydrogen ion or gain another electron again to form a hydride, where the two electrons take a ride in the orbit around the nucleus. It was okay, but know what a proton could never stand? Another one close to it. And in a fit of extreme heat, it captured an electron to form what we call a neutron. These neutral intermediaries galore stabilize nuclei with two protons or more until it reaches 83 in another branch of nature's magic tree. We like to shorten name and acronym like P and E and N for the three, proton, electron, and neutron, respectively. As hydrogen homes got too hot, four of them fought to form helium atoms and a lot of energy as we got and getting from the sun every day and continue for a long time, we pray. As the stars collapsed and got hotter still, heavier atoms formed in the till with P's and N's in their nuclear dens. The number of P's, or atomic number, fixes identities of elements from hydrogen to uranium placed in the periodic table's row and column, form 1 through 92, each symbolized by a letter or two. (laughs) I believe our first poet on the list tonight is Sue Atkinson from Raleigh County. Yes.
2: My first piece is End of an Era. Southern meals round family tables. Stars twinkle in the evening sky. Children's laughter floats on the summer night. We thought it'd never end. Driving lessons on old dirt roads. The vacant lot for play. The neighborhood kids were all good friends. We thought it'd never end. Porch swings squeak and parents talk. Fireflies like the evening air. Hide and seek is the game of choice. We thought it'd never end. Football games on cool fall nights. Cheerleading from the sides. We celebrated win or lose, we thought it'd never end. High school proms and fancy dresses, a wrist corsage (coughs) delivered with a friendly kiss. The song we chose to be our own, we thought it'd never end. (coughs) Then parting came, we made new friends, how sad were sweet goodbyes. We promised to always keep in touch. We thought it'd never end. Now, I look back on those great times. I wonder where they went. I wish my kids had seen those days. An era like that should never end. My next one is entitled, Old? Maybe. The cane she held kept her steps steady. A young athlete trotted by a musical swing to his hips. Her eyes became a twinkling, bouncing ball with every swaying move. Young man, she called in a trembling (coughs) voice, I need your help. Hero that he was, he stopped his (coughs) run and offered an arm to lead her to a bench. Ouch, he yelped. Who knew a frail old woman had such busy fingers? Her fingers were strong enough to cripple a musical sway. (laughs) This is The Breakup. The night we said goodbye, I thought my heart would break. Once we both had vowed forever. Now our love had turned to hate. Hate. We always seemed to be at odds where no true love could tread. Just one more kiss, I begged, but your hearing seemed quite dead. Now that just got my dander up. I grabbed the first thing near. You S.O.B., I yelled and sailed a vase across the room. It was his mother's (coughs) gift to us. You should have seen his face. It turned a brilliant hue of red his breath in mode for race. You bitch, he snarled in raspy voice. Go to hell, I sweetly smiled and quietly closed the door. I cried. My last piece is No Return. Giant waves of memory roll over me. I think I will drown in the sorrow. He has left me behind. Wait, I cry, don't go. Take me, I call. He is deaf to my pleas. The pain explodes within my chest. I think I will shatter. I think I will fall into little pieces to wait. Wait for what? There will be no return. No return to finish a thought left unspoken. No return to smile at a loving look ignored. No return to clasp a gentle hand outstretched but unseen. There will be no return. But there will be a tomorrow, and a tomorrow, and a tomorrow.
1: Our next reader, actually, our next poet, is a, a winner from uh, West Virginia Writers Annual Contest from years past, and he won in uh, the Writers' Wall as well as the People's Choice um, for readings and writings you did at this year's conference. Uh, Miles Dean.
3: Thank you, Eric. Three little poems. By way of introduction, the first one of the first poem. Uh, this year I've been married 48 years, so it's a, one of those reflections. It's called Bridges. They sit in rocking chairs, scarcely speaking. The table between covered with books, mail, a lamp, notes on scraps of paper. She reads a novel, he composes a letter, considers a conversation. Once was easy to span the gap between his Beethoven and her Brahms. Passages fluid and familiar, but less so just now. Any comments and intrusion? Treads worn smooth, lead to the span, rusted from misuse and neglect. Planks missing, cables frayed. In silence, both know that without maintenance, bridges and connections will fail, yet both wait stubborn still. A new coat of paint might cover bare spots, but the surface may need to be scraped clean and sanded before renewal. History suggests the tranquility will return. As causes grow faint, a truce of sorts both know the need for attention will remain. Movement is required. The process starts. One dish is done. Other folds the close. Current events become worthy of comment. The morning coffee gets made and then a relative's passing jars gives clarity to priorities. Both attend to the requirements of the day, rituals of passing, refocusing of bonds. They sit in their rocking chairs, occasionally speaking, table between covered with books, mail, a lamp and notes on scraps of paper. My favorite poet is Billy Collins, and when I'm stuck on something and can't get going, I frequently will pick up one of his poems and just read it to start. And this poem called Reflection is is a reflection of that habit. When I find my poetry becoming too serious, too focused on the issues of love and life, of angst over injustices in the world, I like to reread Billy Collins' poem Litany. In his poems, Collins starts with, you are the bread and the knife, the crystal goblet and the wine, pretty standard love poem kind of imagery. Then it shifts into, you are not the wind in the orchard. The plums on the counter of the house of cards and finally evolves to the writer's description that I am the rain on the roof, I also happen to be the shooting star. Making pictures into words works only when the wordsmith doesn't take himself too seriously. When the pictures don't come out only in patterns of blue and glorious crimson. Every poem about relationships should at least consider one of the characters getting a pie in the face, which reminds me of the observations Rebecca, my wife, made about me yesterday. After our latter, laughter and banter quieted, she went back to her writing and research, and I continued into reflections on the beauty, of love, and a serious look at what ails the world. I also considered my thinning hair and skin mottled and spotted. Looking over at her, I reflected on her changes in appearance and smiled, knowing that she is still my moon and stars, the warm embrace of the early morning sun. And to her, I am still her port in the storm, an anchor holding fast. But she is no longer the willow swaying to the call of the summer breeze, and neither am I. We are the same as we always have been, and different. The third one. came about, we had a cousins reunion Now, For me, cousins, a group of people between 60 and 75. We all kind of clustered either just before the war or just after the war. And we had a gathering, so I wrote this about the time of the gathering. My cousin's wife. My cousin's wife would brook no strife, was so since sweet 16 when her mother came at odds with her, and then was never seen. Her father did not see the plan, knew not what it could mean. Orphaned now, she smiled inside, thinking life would be pristine. My cousin was a stalwart man, his outlook mild and mellow. Not a crossword, not a harsh voice, known as quite a fellow. She could find no peace with him, cried out that he was yellow. In spite of all, he married her and since began to bellow. The neighbors called police that night. They'd wondered what had been cooking. Policemen arrived and asked if she would let them take a look in. She smiled her smiled, said she was glad, said there had been a break in. She'd been saved only by such bold actions as only she had taken. In the cool and quiet of her cell, also soon could tell, the only thing that bothered her was when they rang the bell. Her response, delivered loud and clear, was to damn them all to hell. They told her she would precede the knell as when the trapdoor fell. It's quiet now. Fire's bright. My cousin's wife no longer has strife.
1: Our next poet is also a former uh, winner of the West Virginia Writer's Annual Writing Contest, Ellen Brody.
4: I'm going to read a few of my own poems, which tend to be short and small, and often about everyday things. And then I'm going to read a poem written by my grandson, and I'll tell you a little more about that when I get to it. First we have Black Blanket. Even aware all the while who was there, I gasped and thralled, watching the bunched black blanket moving, stretching, showing claws, and yawning teeth. And here are my two recent haiku. I enjoy writing haiku, and I will write a haiku about just about anything. Pine sap icicles shine in the afternoon sun drip from severed limbs. I had pre-work done this year. And this one is a true story. She said she was bored. Left the reception early, the bride's mother did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) True story. (laughs)
4: Wasn't me. Um, And then I'd almost forgotten about these. But uh, last February, uh, there was a horizontal vertical poetry contest held here, uh, put on by the, uh, as a fundraiser for the Lewisburg Foundation. Is that right? And. um, Len Mugas did some nice things in that. And it's a uh, poetry form that reads both across and up and down. You have three columns and four rows. And it was a lot of fun to play around with. And this is what I came up with. So first I'm going to read across, and then I'm going to read up and down. The snows becoming now status quo, with ice enough to crash down Endless mounds shape the day's routine. Fresh fresh dusted daily drifts replenish anew. That's across, now down. The snows with ice, endless mounds, fresh dusted, become now enough to shape the daily drifts. Status quo crash down day's routine replenished anew. Now the next one, and this one I just played with words. So much, so little, not many, to know, to say, to care, and now it's time at last, to see, rest here, to be. So much to know, and now to see, so little to say, it's time, rest here, not many to care, at last to be. Next one. Pause. stretch, fur crackles, throat purrs. Claws snag, rug lifts, tail whips, belly pleads, palm strokes, never enough, once more, sleep cat love fit. Pause stretch, claws snag, belly pleads once more, fur crackles, rug lifts, palm strokes, sleep cat, throat purrs, tail whips, never enough love fit. And then this one was about early spring. This is the last of the horizontal vertical. Rhubarb, snowdrops, daffodils, catnip, nurtured, emerge. Sorrel, garlic, lilies, lupin, nourished, emerge. Chives, hyacinth, reach now from snow. Crocus, thyme, greet sun, so kind. Rhubarb, snowdrops, sorrel, garlic, chives, hyacinth, crocus, thyme. Daffodils, catnip, lilies, lupin, reach now, greet sun. Nurtured emerge, nourished emerge From snow so kind And the last two of my poems I'm going to read I wrote for a friend of mine that I was on a um, national board with I've worked with him for about four years His name is Jared In meeting a quiet listener's I have a question Leads to new answers A soft I have something to say, gathers attention. Clarity, compassion, humor, move us ahead. I wrote that poem after learning of Jerry's death earlier this year. Mm -hmm. That was the second one I wrote about him. The first one that came out almost immediately was Never Want to See No Email with a Friend's Name on the Subject Line. (laughs) That's my vernacular hike. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm going to change here. My grandson, whose name is Brody Atkins is now 14. He wrote this poem when he was 13 for a school assignment. He loves to write and he writes all the time. Prose. So poetry was kind of new to him. And he had a hard time coming up with something. They had different forms that they could do in class. And uh, he left it till the last minute. And then he realized he had a story he had already written. <coughs> as a, um, a fireside story at a camp. So he set it into a rhyming narrative, and it is called The Rose. His teacher liked it so much that she submitted it to a competition, and he won an honorable mention. Mm -hmm. I write this now, alone in my cell. This is the tale of my own trip through hell. He should be here soon. I have little time. So here is my tale in these scribbled lines. It was late January of 2010. And it was a Saturday afternoon when I, walking alone down the street, was led to the alley by my wandering feet. My curiosity let free. I stepped into the dark, and I heard an angel's voice singing like a lark. I followed the sound. Caution I heeded not, and I found my way into that lot. And in the center of the ruined turf, covered in weeds blowing like surf, In the center there stood, alone and glowing, a single red rose in the wind blowing. Its crimson corona surrounded the core. My soul at that moment could ask for no more than to stare into the beauty and feel its glow, but it had something that it wanted me to know. The voice sang out, vibrant and clear, and then like a snake slithered into my ear, then the voice changed from that of an angel into that of a treacherous weasel. It forced me into dark slumber and spat into my ear eight numbers. One, two, ten, five, thirty-three, sixty, two. The rose spoke to me these numbers of fate and I would not remember upon my awake. I woke up in my bed the very next day, wrote it off as a dream and went off on my way. And here now in my cell, my heart yearns to have listened to the rose at the time the month turned. For in the rain, on February the 1st, my brother ran across the street to quench his thirst at the vending machines that lay there, and mother followed, not looking left nor right of her wear. It was after school, at 5.33, when the first of five deaths of those close to me came about at 60 miles per hour and crashed into our mother in the freezing shower. It was on 6th Street, and two hours she managed to last Before, with us family around her, she finally passed. Everyone wept and the funeral went, but thinking is how all of my time was spent. It came to me while reading the paper, reading the notice of mother's death. The first day of the second month in 2010. At 5.33, the driver going 60 miles per hour, and two hours later, she died. One, two, 33, 62, and that's when I knew that the dream had been true. At her funeral, with her lying there dead, a rose on her chest confirmed all my dread. That night in my room, I lay awake, thinking about who else the rose would take. Finally, sleep wormed into my head, and I saw the rose, beautiful and red. It grew out of a violet sea, stem covered in thorns, and in the distance, I heard the blowing of horns. And music swept in, mighty and grand, music beyond comprehension to those of this land. And it sang to me sweetly, that red petaled rose. It sang me a song about what the future would hold. And one by one, all of them fell. My friends, family, and dear Isabel, my wife at the time. The rose took her too, claimed by a nasty strain of the flu. And that's when I snapped, mental stability breaking. And that's when I snapped, my heart filled with aching. It was the rose, I screamed, the rose, all I could say. It was the rose, I did scream as they took me away. And here now I sit in my lonely room, scribbling this to anyone who might take a chance and believe me, for now he comes finally for me. I hear the door creak, light spilling in, and I see him enter the hooded demon. The black robe swoops down and drifts like smoke, and bone arms extend from within the cloak. In his hands, he holds a shimmering scythe, and I look up to uh, look up to see into the grim reaper's eyes. But the face was not a skull, as the television shows. No, my friend, death's face is a rose.
1: Next poet is Edward Kennison.
5: Usually when I come out and do poetry, I usually do country poetry. The, the first time I came down here, I did some poetry of lighthouses and the beach, and just didn't seem to go over very well with the local crowd. So I said, well, we'll you know stick to the country poetry. And then I invented uh, this character. Uh, some of you might remember his Uncle Edward, the, kind of limps in and looks like he crawled out from under a rock. And I've been doing that quite a bit lately, so I decided I was going to do some poetry that doesn't see the light of day very often, because it's, it's rather dark, hence the, the dark attire. here. This is a, a poem originally written in 2001, and in 2006 uh, the heavy metal band Wicked Edgar turned it into a song and recorded it. This is called Burn. This house is so very cold. I think I'll build a fire. I'll set and watch it burn. My heart is feeling old. The notes that I was a liar. I think I'll set and watch it burn. I feel alone. There are people everywhere. They say someday I'll learn. Another page has turned. I long to hear your voice. I keep calling. And you don't care. The house is a mess. I sit and stare at pictures of you. I hope someday you'll care. They say I'll never learn. This heart is so very cold. I think I'll start a fire. I'll sit and watch it burn. I'll love you forever. I hope you are told. The note said I started this fire. I think I'll sit and watch it burn. This is Heart of Darkness. Darkness surrounds. Encompassing, smothering. The power is the pain. The victor is bitter. Devoured inside. The hero becomes a menace. The anger boils within. The blood of revenge coats his young hands. Destroying a life predetermined by others. By fate. Destroying life. Many lives hang in the balance, the balance of power. Balanced by the light, toppled by evil. The evil that resides in the heart of all men. Darkness closes. The power is in the pain. Bitter is the victor. The blood of power coats his young hands, destroying the balance of power. The light has gone dim. Darkness surrounds The light in us all. Follow not ye soul. Into the heart of darkness. Lest ye join those. Who have turned before you. The brotherhood of the Sith. This is is a new one. This is 2011. This is Oz. I watch as the pieces move. Around the globe. Falling into place. A small push here, a small tug there, a donation in the right place. Pay a few protesters, the rest will fall in line. Spurred on by online organizers, everyone knows what they protest for. Few realize the true end result, except me. I have a plan for it all. The entire world is my board game. I move the pieces that are your lives. For my pleasure, for my wealth, I manipulate world leaders with a gentle wave of a powerful hand. I lead the uninformed with an invisible hand. Off to meet the wizard. I am the wizard of the new world order. Now we see why I don't read these or publish these very often. <laughs> my wife don't like these. All right, this is the last one. Uh, This is Always and Forever. I read a biography of Sigmund Freud once, and as soon as I finished, I sat down and, and this sort of crawled out. So, Always and Forever. It is all inside, gathered together within my mind, laughter and joy, tears and pain, retained, unexplained, locked in tight, Forever locked inside my brain, the boy and the man, the confusion, the understanding, built overlapping each other, always and forever, here together. Life and breath, suffocation and death, the alpha, the omega, everything is an end, is a beginning, on and on, round and round, sun and rain, pleasure and pain, felt overlapping each other, always together, here, I mean, always together, here forever. Darkness and light, day and night, blending together, retained, explained, locked in tight, good and evil, wrong and right, opposites, overlapping each other, always and forever, here, together. Another day dawns, I rise, murderer and saint, together together. I step into the light, my turmoil held tight inside, as it is expected to be. I smile at the crowd, their love is loud. Smile and wave suppress my murderous intent, at least for today. I am who they want me to be. I am always and forever here together. Thank you. Our next
6: poet of the evening is Wolf Knight. Uh, A short one and a medium one and a long one. and Maybe a short one to finish. On the ninth day, God created poetry. It is the job of the poet to patrol the edges of the firelight, calling back reports to the appointed tribe. From our cockeyed viewpoints, we describe the shinier side of the diamond, the unlit side of the moon. Sometimes we cast glances over our shoulders and catch glimpses of our own selves. <coughs> a long time ago, I was 20 years old, owned the only car I ever loved in 1955 Ford, the Alcan was still gravel. Anchorage, Alaska hadn't yet suffered a Good Friday earthquake. This called Road Song, Night Song. I haven't done this one for a long time. Thirteen hours past sundown, nine hours till dawn. Saskatchewan on my right and the open rolling center of America on my left all the way to Amarillo and God knows. North Lakota, surrounding like a warm, dark blanket that needs kicking out of. Highway hypnosis is my middle name, sucking down those cigarettes and listening to Garner Ted Armstrong and wondering why each rare set of oncoming lights is heading in the wrong direction. Days later, miles per gallon farther, again, nighttime. On the Alcan, on bad curves, they got red signs with crosses on them saying, two died here in 1959, or three died here in 1957. Funny all those people were Christian. Either Jewish drivers are more skillful or not allowed, and all others have to take the bus. (laughs) This is a good curve without red sign, safe pullover spot carved into the flank of the hill. Actually, it's kind of a mountain, tree covered and quiet, no midnight wind, the motor cools, my legs unwind. Faint smell of dust still hanging from last hour's semi. Above that, the strong scent of evergreens. Yet higher, the almost taste of chilled blackness and starlight. It finally comes home to me, standing on this northern mountain, that I really am a child of the great wolf. In the dark, I put back my head and howl. We're coming up on Veterans Day, I was gonna do my Vietnam poem. Uh, I usually boot beep, beep the bad word, but what's what's the Cajun seal of to well, let the good times roll? Do you wanna hear the bad word or should I boot beep, beep the bad word? No please. Okay, we're all grown ups no. here. No. This call was was I in Vietnam? Could Custer locate Indians? The following poem contains soldier talk, listener discretion is advised. For those not acquainted with military slang, back on the block, or back in the world, meant back home again. Also, one entree in canned sea rations was ham and lima beans. Little small lima's been dead for a long time. Even the chaplains call this mixture ham and motherfuckers. The switchboard operator told about getting a call one day from the tactical operations duty officer. Had to reach a tactical officer at Boondocks 2 down in the Delta. All the main lines were still out because of last week's typhoon. Could the call still be put through? Can do is our motto. Favors called in. French-Vietnamese swearing function activated. The call went north to I-Corps, then to the airport switch in Thailand, back to the central highlands, to two separate Viet Army switchboards to a chopper unit comm center by radio patch at last to boondocks two. Naturally, the operator built the call on the circuit with a faulty switch, the one that stayed open if you bumped it twice, and he heard the officer say, hey George, this is Buck, what are you wearing to the colonel's retirement dinner tomorrow night? The guy we'll call Idaho got to actually go out in the field and shoot. He was an artillery advisor and knew howitzers and stuff. They got ambushed one day, and his Vietnamese counterpart jumped behind a tree and into a booby trap. A tripwire blew a hand grenade in a bag of empty bomby beer bottles. Idaho stood there not knowing what the hell. The Vietnamese pulled the muzzle of Idaho's carbine down toward his ear and said what sounded to the dark red gurgling like, Do it, do it, do it, so he did it. We all drank, but Idaho drank faster. One of the guys is seated on his bunk, holding a photo cupped in his left hand, his right hand on his left wrist. What you got, man? Picture of my wife. Hey, I didn't know you were married, can I see? It's a Polaroid shot, and his wife is on the sofa wearing something lacy and peach colored and very, very small. What do you say at a time like that? She's a special looking lady, man. He squints at the wall looking eastward in his mind. Yeah, but I can't reach her from here. The standby crew on mortar one is babysitting the gun because like usual, the regular crew has gone to Saigon on pass and the V.C. are in the area. The night is warm and quiet rain runs off my poncho to soak me below the knees. Light reflects from the main building. Little beads of rain slip and scoop down the butt plate of my rifle where it lays across the sandbags, partly under a plastic sheet. The rest of the guys are hunkered down on ammo boxes, wrapping themselves around lukewarm cans of ham and motherfuckers and keeping the rain off their coffee. The game they're playing is back on the block. The last guy to speak is the last guy to speak. Squinting into the dark rain, looking eastward in his mind, he says, the hell with it, man. When I get back on the block, I'm running for Congress. We were comrades once in the Franco-Prussian War, young happy peasants in the first modern army. I just can't recall which. It was the something or other empire, I'm certain of that. Hope our side won, though I guess it doesn't matter whose colors we saluted. other guys' trench had the same kind of mud. I've been a soldier in a hundred lifetimes, and I can't remember why. How strange it is to make a body out of molecules and magic and let it be destroyed. I won't be back. If you want me, I will be between the trenches, kicking this mud goodbye. When the bugle blows, I'll wave my hand at the stars. Thank you,
1: guys. on our list for the evening is Samuel Kessler.
0: Um, I only have two poems. One of them's quite short and one of them's a little bit longer. Here they are. (laughs) did print them out. Okay, so the first one's called I've Been Carrying You Around. I've Been Carrying You Around. I've Been Carrying You Around like a sack of rotting potatoes, you're keeping to plant in the spring. I've been carrying you around like a sack of coal to warm you through the winter. I've been carrying you around like one blanket, two shirts, one pair of pants, underwear, and socks. I've been carrying you around like a ragged and tattered traveler. Friend, I've been carrying you around. And um, the second one is called, Why is the Sun Happiness? why do we grow old i asked grandfather bear on a spring morning he answered knowing is harder than thought for statues i asked him what he meant and he said when the races end i sing to the sky the frozen tundra you know so well when i remarked that i didn't know a thing he said you know the sun in the sky like a lover treats you with unfailing truth you know that Water and a green stream thick with algae are as important as any man alive or dead. After that, I went traveling round the world, sailed on freighters, coal and leisure, rode on trains, smokestacks, and steel, and dreamed like animal, sung and asked for liveliness, and never stopped for one solitary minute to think till suddenly I heard of Grandfather Bear's death. His body, as per rigor mortis, stretched out and froze on the white ice, and I knew what the races meant. Now, when someone asks me, why do we grow old, I either answer with a question, why is the sun happiness, or a truth I can't see anymore? Thank you.
1: Thanks once again go to the Greenbrier Valley Theater for putting on the literary tea event each year and inviting West Virginia writers to be a part of it. We'll have more poetry reading coming up this month in additional podcasts, some of which was recorded at our summer conference from 2011. Now, if you haven't been to the West Virginia Writers website and checked out the information about our upcoming summer conference, you do need to do so. Our president, Kat Pleska, has really knocked herself out in planning the conference this year and has lined up some fantastic guests and entertainment. We'll have more info about that conference, including the latest news on workshop presenters and all the details you seek, both at our website and in future podcasts. I'll also be interviewing some of the presenters who will be there this year to get a sneak preview of what they're planning to do. Our opening voiceover was provided by Marcus Vowell. Our show's theme music is used with permission by its composer, Pops Walker, who will be one of the guests at this year's conference, along with fellow musician Kippen Martin, who did an amazing show two years back. You can check out more information about Pops at his website, popswalker.com. This podcast is a production of Mr. Herman's Production Company Limited and was recorded and produced atop a hill in Greenbrier County.